dude, they kept telling me, go back to school, get your master's, get your master's. Every yeah. time. My dad is my accountant. He knows how much money I was making. That I was much. <laughs> so he's like, I do your accountant. So I was like, one day you're going to get married. You're not going to be able to support a family this way. You know? So he knew everything. Till that one time, Pharrell wired me $30,000 for one week worth of work. You know? Hey everybody, it's Kunal from Mom, Mannered, and Timid. This is episode 26. Rhea's recording me right now. She hated my original intro, so I'm redoing it. Whatever, we're back here. There's 121 followers up in this bitch. <laughs> you don't like that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, MMT episode 26. We're out here. Uh, we have 121 followers. Thank you guys for following along. Really appreciate it. Uh, decided to drop another interview this time. This is an interview with a guy named Shomi Patwari. He came up in Virginia Beach. And if you're a fan of music and music videos at all, then you've seen his name before. He's been directing videos for Pusha T, for Lupe Fiasco, for The Clips, for the ASAP Mob, Rocky Ferg, uh, Diplo, Beyonce, The Weeknd, Major Lazer, like the list goes on and on and on. He's even directed a video with Shah Rukh Khan in it, with Diljit Dosanjh in it. Like this man is, he directed a video with Kevin Hart. Like this guy's all over the place and he's a Bengali American man. And so we had to talk to him. Um, so I hope you enjoy. I'm just going to keep, I'm going to cut this one short because Rhea didn't like how long I talked in the intro before. But we had to. I own you! <laughs> but anyways, I hope you guys enjoy it. If this was this was a tough one to edit. So if it's all over the place, if you hear things in the background, stuff like that, we were still kind of getting our bearing. Um, Shomi's wife is also just a really sweet person and was making chai for us and giving us biscuits and things like that. And I, I just didn't have the heart to be like, hey, we just need to, we need really like pin drop silence so we can get all the audio recordings when somebody's giving me chai. So anyways, it was... It was a difficult, it was a difficult uh, interview to get through. Honestly, just because Shomi knows so many people in the industry, he came up around so many different people, um, and I wasn't quite sure what we're allowed to, what we're allowed to say, and what we aren't. So I had to cut certain segments out and things like that. But in any case, we're twenty six episodes in. You guys who've been listening this whole time really appreciate you, and I hope you enjoy this. Longest time, like Chad Hugo would come to my house, eat my mom's spaghetti. My mom doesn't know who the hell he is. That's like, so mom, good. this guy's got Grammys. Yeah. Like, whatever. What Till Happy came out, my parents had no clue, like, what the big deal was about me working with Pharrell, you know? Amazing. Wow. And they were finally like, oh, this is my son. He worked with Pharrell. What? That is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Chad Hugo. The Chad Hugo. One half of the Neptunes, for all you MFs that don't know who Chad Hugo is, which if you don't, by the way, just turn this episode off. You just, you don't deserve to be listening to this episode. But that's the most humble brag. That's that's the wildest humble brag I've ever heard in my life. Like, yo, Chad Hugo used to eat pasta that my Bengali mom would make for him. What? This is, it, it gets even wilder than this. Keep listening. I was born in Bangladesh and um, lived there for eight years. Mm -hmm. And my uncle was like the first generation to come to this country mm -hmm. and he sponsored us. And you know, my parents were doing really, really well in Bangladesh. Like my dad was like a banker and 
when we moved here, we were living with my uncle. I was like, oh, America's awesome. Like, moving to Virginia. And, like, my uncle's got, you know, he was a radiologist. And so he wow. sponsored all his uh, sisters. This is the 90s. That's modern, like, Japanese-themed house. SL Benz, swimming pool, jet skis. I'm like, oh, America's great. This is exactly what I thought. <laughs> yeah. But, like, six months went by. Summer came, uh, and my dad is like, oh, I think we have to get out of this <laughs> house now. I moved to New York. Huh. 1990. Complete opposite of Virginia. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the crack epidemic. Mm -hmm. My parents had barely any money. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I'm living in like a one-bedroom apartment with me, my brother, my mom. And my dad got mugged so many times. Dude, <laughs> I thought I was living in hell. I was like, yo, why did we come to this country? Mm -hmm. Like, for what? And so, like, my dad was working like three odd jobs. And then he was still studying to be a CPA again. He did the accounting thing. And, you know, my mom was like, I don't know how we're going to survive. You know, mm -hmm. like, and then my... Uncle came to visit and was like, yo, this is terrible. Like, you guys can't live in this condition. <laughs> was like, I have a house that I own. Maybe you guys can move there. We lived in New York for like a year maybe and <laughs> couldn't stand it. And moved back to Virginia again. And then we were living in a townhouse. And my dad was still like kind of like working for my uncle. I like, got him a like little job. But eventually he got a CPA certificate. And then he started his own firm over the years. Uh -huh. And then it went from that to like seeing my dad live the American dream. Like buy a house, buy these motels and all this stuff. Yeah. Started seeing that, you know, like I got to experience like nothing to then like living like the all American dream, you mm -hmm. know, by the time I was like in high school. So there you have it. His story starts off about the same as you'd expect. I mean, the, the family came over here from Bangladesh. They moved around a bunch from, you know, living with his uncle in Virginia to then moving to New York, which was starkly different, and then coming back to Virginia. Um, it's really funny because we probably should have asked him more about his formative years, like in middle school and high school, things like that. And we did slightly touch on it, but... In cutting down these interviews, we decided it would be best to just go right into, at least with, at least with Show Me, to go directly into how he really got started in the game and shooting videos for everybody. And so maybe we'll do a part two one day. But basically, pretend he didn't go to high school or no, that's terrible. Don't do that. But whether you know what Show Me went through in elementary school, middle school, high school, one thing does remain the same that a lot of creative brown folk will probably identify with. It's hard for me to like convince my parents this is what I want to do. When I grew up, I didn't see anybody. Like the closest thing was like my cousin was a DJ, but so, his parents were like, don't do that. They were just like, you know, you shouldn't get involved with like anything arts related and things like that. It's like mm -hmm. stick to engineering. So I went to school for computer science. Amazing, right? So needless to say, Shomi is learning computer science at college, and he's still trying to find his way into arts and entertainment. He he knows he has a love for it. And it's just funny that his parents told him, nah, don't do that, right? And they're like, go pursue something in college. He pursues computer science. And that is what eventually helps him get in the game, as you're about to hear. He starts doing websites for people. I mean, he's he's good at it. Him and you know, him and the people that he's working with. They're good at it. They make websites. They they code MySpace sites, like back when that was a thing. Um, you know, Show Me picks up a camera, starts taking photos, taking videos, just doing all sorts of stuff. And a funny story is I went to school in Richmond. I went to VCU in Richmond, Virginia, and there was a rapper there called Nick Fury. And if you're into, you know, 
If you're really into rap, you will probably know who Nick Fury is. He allegedly wrote some things for Drake early on in his career. Him and Drake, I, I don't know if they're cool now, but they were cool then. Um, but he, he's just like a native Richmonder who's really well known in Richmond. If you say Nicholas F. in in Richmond, Virginia, probably in Virginia as a whole, people know who he is. Uh, if you know who Mad Skills is, uh, he used to put up the wrap-up every year. He was he was working at VCU while I was there, actually, and he's known as one of the, I, I don't know if he's the best ghostwriters, but one of the biggest ghostwriters in the game. If you have a minute, you should check out the song called Ghostwriter by Mad Skills, where you know he talks about all the different tracks he's written over the years for really famous people without naming them. So it became a game for a lot of people when it first dropped to figure out who he was talking about. Anyways, Mad Skills respects Nicholas F. And I saw Nick battle people live. And it is phenomenal, the level of skill this guy has, right? Um, he wrote for he wrote for Drake early on in his career, you know, he allegedly, allegedly. So he must be good in some fashion, but really just pound for pound, he's phenomenal. And to bring this all the way back around, um, Shomi was managing him, as you're about to find out. So I never met Shomi while I was in Virginia and Shomi was in Virginia, but somebody we both knew. And Nick came through to my studio that I had, you know, my little quote studio in my, uh, that was my bedroom <laughs> with my closet running logic. And he recorded at my, I probably still have the vocals somewhere. I don't know where they are, but he came and recorded at my place. So it's just funny how it is kind of a small world. I, I, real, Nick, I didn't I even realize through. I was kind of managing Nick without even realizing that's what I was doing. Uh -huh. You know, because I was like making his website, I was doing his photos, I was doing his graphic sure. design, everything I could. Yeah. We were trying to make this record label, Lucid Media Records, you know? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. I was like, Nick, you know, we'll put some singles out, whatever, you know, let's, let's do it, I'll get you signed somehow, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was just getting him on the web. Anytime he would be in the studio, I'd put that up on the Star Trek website. This is when I was still in college. Graduated, finally, and I'm still like heavy into music, but... Me, Nick, all of us were managed by, now this is crazy, Magoo from Timo and Magoo. And Magoo was like, yo, these beats are cool. I played it for Missy. All these people, they like it. But like, they were, like everybody's wondering who made that website. <laughs> I was like, yo, I did. He's like, two, stick to that. <laughs> He's like, stick to that. Yeah. I was like, all right, cool. I guess some of that you know, school knowledge is coming in handy. So what I did at that point was like, when he gave me that advice, I was like, maybe he's right. And I was, you know. It's not exactly what I wanted to do, but it's still fun because it wasn't like a website for like a local restaurant or something. It was like for rappers that I yeah. was just locally cool with. We so we're so much money off of MySpace. We were like customizing web pages. I did like Sean Paul's page for like seven thousand dollars <laughs> for one page website. I used to try to learn how to do that. And I yeah, could not we were the guys who were doing that stuff. I did Danger Hands page. Charlie over there would program all that stuff. So it went from that to like somehow this guy Doug Dozier. Um, yeah. Um, was one of Pharrell's best friends. He used okay. to take N.E.R.D. to band practice. Sure. One day he was like, yo, everybody's been telling me about you locally, like you're doing all the designs and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, I met with Doug. And Doug was like, yo, I'll get you in the studio with like Pharrell and all these guys, you mm -hmm. know? Like, I think they need somebody like you because they're all over the place right That's now. That's insane. So like the first job they gave me was like to make a DVD for family who Pharrell had just signed. Yeah. And I showed them the Nicholas F. DVD I made. Uh -huh. They said they were just sold off of that. So first hearing that back right now and trying to figure out commentary for this, I'm still just baffled. I'm I'm still it's it's amazing how things work. He he went to college for something that is probably far away from the media, from arts, from entertainment that you could think, but he just 
kept his head down kind of and started getting his name out there, just doing websites for people, doing photo, doing videos for people, and eventually caught the eye of somebody who knew Pharrell and nerd. And when hard work meets preparation meets luck, you know, because it, it's luck, right? Knowing somebody like that, and then you you obviously have to back it up when he gets you in the room with Pharrell and, and nerd. And Show Me was able to do that. I think my first memory of video was like not me even considering it as a job. It was when I was just around Nick, Drake, all these guys. We were just filming BTS stuff mm -hmm. just to have it, you know? Didn't realize this stuff would be like what we now consider like social media type content. At the time, the only social media we had was like the Star Trek forum. But the video thing just happened because I got sick of doing web design. Like yeah. everything was self-taught and just came from just love. We didn't go to film school. You know, I had to just hustle through it and, you know, figure it out. And sometimes it just be like that. I mean, I'm a strong believer that everyone has a talent, that everyone can do whatever it is they want to do. You just have to start doing it, right? You just have to execute. You can't just be like, I want to do this and then never take any steps in that direction. But sometimes it, it does happen that you have, you're just born with something innate. You're just able to, and you just hustle it. You just pick up a camera and you just start taking photos of every goddamn thing you can, or you start taking video of everything you can. Um, it's probably that, it's probably got something to do with that 10,000 hours principle, which is another thing that, you know, there's a lot of caveats to it. So I don't know if it works for every profession, but certainly for something like photography, videography. If you want to do it, then you really got to spend time figuring out how everything works and just loving it you know you gotta love it and that's that's what show me did he's always been creative he's always you know been trying to figure out how to get in the door and he did and he starts having a lot of success so first job they send me on i'm a college rep now i'm still like on the edge of graduating mm -hmm. so i'm a college rep for star trek i remember going backstage and i was seeing like mob deep and like 50 Cent right there. I'll yeah, in like 2002, one. that's got to be wild. Dude, it's that's all in there. I remember meeting Alchemist, all these guys, and I'm with Family, like wow. getting all this access, and I'm filming all of it. At the time, nobody's like putting this kind of stuff online except for me, you know? Right. So like the little amount of blogs that existed. Started We're picking up everything. Picking the sure. stuff up. So that was kind of the start of it. And then I started doing that for Pusha too. I was just, anytime he'd film something, I just, you know, do that stuff. And at the same time, I'm building this relationship with the clips. Right? So like, amazing. we got to this point where, and he already's like homebrew now. Mm -hmm. We've done like $30,000 projects, websites for 30 grand at the time. It was just like a lot of money for me. A kid from Virginia Beach. Yeah. Cost of living is nothing. I'm still living with my parents. Yeah. It's like, so we made a lot of money and we started expanding the company. So he's riding high. And then just like that, things can change. And there's nothing funny about what Shomi's about to say, but the way that he relates how his fate sort of changed had me rolling. And this stuff happened with the clips, and like it was crazy. When Clips' manager got locked up, this is a crazy drug bust in the VA because mm -hmm. you know, he got like 32 years. Yeah. So all like the local rappers that were funded by drug dealers are gone. And messed up my company too because <laughs> none of the local dope dealers could get music, could get music anymore. anymore. <laughs> You know, uh, that's but yeah, you know, this guy was getting busted. This nightclub was getting shut down. I mean, our company was a multimedia company. We thrived off of like all the local yeah. businesses. Yeah. But all the local businesses were try tied in with drug money. They yeah. were legit businesses, mm -hmm. but the drug dealers were the ones spending the money in those businesses. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Buying out bottles. Yeah. You know, booking the best like concerts to come down. So when that happened, the area went dry. <laughs> Anyone will tell you the entertainment business is peaks and valleys. And then it's smoke and mirrors on top of that. Like somebody went 
to each peak, to each valley with a smoke machine and some mirrors and just like set them up at your highs and at your lows. And it doesn't even make sense, but it just, you're like, but I know Pharrell, how could this go wrong? The clips were kind of like at a, like a point where they're like, I don't know what we want to do. Malice was going through this religious thing. Everything was like kind of collapsing in our world, mm-hmm. in Virginia at least. Pharrell is no longer in Virginia. He was living in Miami. So I was just like, dude, I don't know what we're going to do, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I don't really want to be in this business anymore. Maybe my parents were right. And this is best friend. He was like, yo, maybe I'm going to just get a nine to five. And maybe I'll do the same, you know? Mm-hmm. Yo, if and I had so- a nickel for every time I thought maybe my parents were right, I would have changed my name to Kanal Ambani years ago. That's kind of funny, right? You feel that? You like that joke? Um, but then the fates step right back in. And like I've been saying from the inception of my birth, a lot of this is hard work and no one's taking that away from anybody in any of these fields. But a lot of it is also just timing and luck. And you just have to be prepared. And so we were exploring this nine to five option. But then one day Push was like, yo, show me. I know you're not doing this media stuff anymore. And you're just like taking a break from it. You want to go back to school, but I think we should come to this like uh, Kanye West shoot we're about to do. And I know you got like these little handy cams available. And this is when I wasn't really even that deep into video yet. Mm-hmm. It's more web stuff. So I was like, you know what? I'll do it. So I went, met Kanye, Kaz, all these people, Chase Infinite, who eventually became Rocky's manager. All these people were there at this Kanye West shoot. I was filming and one other guy who's also a big director now. <laughs> Both filming BTS, we were like racing to put it out on the internet. <laughs> and so I was like, who could put it out? He put it out. It was cool. But then I put it out because I was with the clips. I had like even more. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So like mine went like viral and people were like, yo, this behind the scenes is better than the actual music video. Was that for kind of like a big deal? Yeah. So when that happened, um, Pusha was like, yo, I, maybe I'll just buy you a better camera. Can you just shoot a music video for <laughs> just us? Follow me. I was like, sure. And so he bought me a 7D. It was like the first thing that came out that was like, depth of field you know you can do all this crazy stuff you know? Did you know so you? they bought me the 7d we shot like this video for freedom and now i'm like kind of back in the game again kind of like oh clips got me a camera and i'm a music video director is that yeah, what yeah. i am now <laughs> yeah yeah they don't go to school for any of this stuff except for programming you right know? so show me is finding massive success but as anybody who's seasoned in this game will tell you just because you're finding success doesn't mean you can just give up you know trying to find something secure a lot of times you'll you know, you'll get some really big budget video for, you know, for instance, in this case, and then it'll be dry for some time. And then you'll get another video and then it'll be dry for some time. Or if you're just learning as show me is, but you happen to know the right people, that's great. That's fantastic. But how to turn that into something that can sustain your life is a whole different, is a whole different beast. So he's making these great relationships. He's, you know, working on his art. Uh, and he, goes and finds the love of his life, which I also, you know, that's that's very similar to me. Hi, Rhea. Um, she'll, she'll hear that when she's mixing this. So I can't stress enough how much you need somebody there who supports what you're doing when you are in a field like the arts and, and entertainment. You cannot do it alone. It's just impossible. If anybody tells you they're doing it alone, they're a fraud, they're a liar. You know how I feel about those motherfuckers. You cannot do it alone. You need somebody who understands how passionate you are about art 
about entertainment, about what you want to do. Of course, you have to be passionate about it and not just be a fraud yourself, but you do need somebody who stands by you, who can give you another perspective, who can push you when you're feeling low. After the clips and a few other guys, like, oh, I can't do any more stuff here. And so I had a part-time job at uh, Hampton University um, doing media-related stuff. So my parents were super happy about that. Uh-huh. And I think when I got the job at Hampton University, that's right around the time when I in Bangladesh met my wife. And then we got married. But my wife was like, we should move to New York. Like, I think it'd be cool because you're way too talented to be down here, you know? That's lit. And it was funny. And my friend, who was from Virginia, had moved to New York and launched Karma Loop TV. And Pharrell at the time became the creative director. So then I finally moved to New York, uh, you know, five years ago, six years ago now. Mm-hmm. Six years ago, moved to New York, took this leap of faith. Like, dude, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do, but I'll, you know, these guys are offering me a salary, but like giving me all the freedoms I've always had. Mm-hmm. So like my brother would put me on to ASAP Ferg and Rocky. And so Ferg came to my office. Ferg's like, dude, I have no money, but if you guys could sponsor my video, I'd be so grateful. I was like, sure, dude. Like, I like what you're doing. My brother's telling me good things. Yeah. So we did the work video. It like, cost us 40 bucks maybe. And that got him signed. Wow. Like a few months later. Got him like a multi-million dollar deal. And so I'm at Karma Loop building all these relationships, but I'm still like not making that much money off of videos, but I had a great salary at the time, mm-hmm. you know, great salary, great benefits, clothes are free. I was building a crazy relationship, like back working with Diplo, like we did Express Yourself and then um, got the Beyonce opportunity while we were at Karma Loop. And then Diplo's like, yo, come out to like Jamaica, let's shoot a major laser video. So then I directed the major laser video while still at Karma Loop. And so when the money would come in, it would go straight to Karma Loop. But I was already on salary. But it allowed me to like not care about the money and just strictly just care about the production. About the art, yeah. Yeah, and about the art of it. You know, it was the more innocent times, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just like, you know, built a lot over there. And then Joseph Patel had just joined the Fader. Joseph Patel I met ages ago. I'm going to stop it right there because he just said a Gujarati last name. It happens to be my last name. And what, motherfuckers? Gujaratis are out here doing the arts and entertainment, not just owning convenience stores and motels. What's good? Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I got really hyped. I had to get up. I had to walk around. I had to come back. I just, you know, it's a Gujarati. What what do you want me to do? There's not so many of us in this game, so I'm real hyped. Um, But this does bring about a fantastic point, which is that beyond a support system, it's also very helpful in this game to have a mentor, to have somebody who can help you out. Whether you believe me or not, I fundamentally think that people look out for their own. It's just a natural thing. I'm, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it. There's obviously it can be taken to extremes and then it's really wrong. But I think innately we just look out for people who look like us. You know, um, I see it happen all the time in the corporate world. I think it does happen in the arts. So needless to say, the fact that there's somebody like Joseph Patel out there who lends a hand to show me and brings him along is phenomenal. And I'm really about this point because I happen to know Joseph too. And he did something very, very similar for me that I will never forget. Joseph Patel I met ages ago. Uh-huh. When Joseph was at MTV, started and did like my block, mm-hmm. and I introduced him to Fam Lay when I was in Virginia, and Joseph always remembered that. And then Joseph somehow linked up with my boy Kenna, and they were doing MySpace. And after Joseph left MySpace, he joined Fader. And when he joined Fader, he was putting a team together. Mm-hmm. So Carmel was starting to fall. 
I think Carmel just before they were falling out, kind of, kind of like, kind of feeling it's about to fall. I was like, yeah, I think I'm gonna get out of here. <laughs> I went to Fader, and Fader offered me a six-figure salary and all these great benefits. And me and Joseph were working there, and even more connections were coming. You know, like meeting everybody. Everybody's coming. Yeah, Fader there. is huge. Yeah, it's a huge. So like, he was even a more professional like work environment. So I'm learning how to like produce a lot more at the Fader, learning from Joseph. Cause just the first time I'm seeing like, oh, like a car loop too. We didn't follow any rules. We just shot shit. You get. Whatever money, there's no like budget breakdown. And Fader finally, like, Joseph's like, this is how you do a spreadsheet. This is how you do a budget breakdown. So he's like the OG. Yeah, he's the OG. So I kind of learned a, a little bit of the production. Stuff. Again, I can't stress enough how awesome it is that Joseph did this for Show Me. That essentially, he just showed him some ways to level himself up. Show Me's already a great artist. And Joseph didn't find any sort of threat there. You know, they're both filmmakers, but there was no threat there. He just decided, let me teach this guy a few more things that'll help him out. That's phenomenal. I, I haven't found that very often in this business. I don't know if it's just brown people. I don't know if it's people across the board. I imagine it's probably people across the board. Um, but I feel it more, obviously, because I'm brown. But they're not always willing to help. They're, even when people aren't threats, they're not willing to help. My particular feeling is that even if you can view somebody as a threat, it just means you you know you can level them up. And that just means you have to make sure you're on your shit and that you're doing better, you know? But that doesn't mean hold back information from people. That doesn't mean just watch as people stumble into really bad things and hardships. It's just, it doesn't make sense to me in my mind. So back to the story, though, we're about to see how fate decides to throw another curveball at Show Me, this time in a very life-threatening way. So put that out with the fader for like maybe a year or so. Seven months, I don't know, like, I was like, close to a year. And then what was happening is while I was working there, I kind of lost that, like, entrepreneurial side of me. Even at the Karma Loop stage, they gave me so much freedom, even though, like, and Karma Loop, I was making mad money on the side, too. We, were, mm-hmm. we had a studio. Mm-hmm. We had red cameras that the company already bought. On the weekdays, yeah. all the new up-and-camera yeah. <laughs> coming rappers would come down there and we shoot their videos for, like, you know, whatever. So a side hustle too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were making money on the side and I was saving up crazy money. I already had a salary. Then on the weekend, we'll shoot a music video using all the Karma Loops equipment. Sure. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. And then I was like, yo, we'll put you on Karma Loop, baby. <laughs> you know? So it was crazy, dude. So we're like building out crazy stuff on the side. But the network was kind of growing more and more. I took this fader job for security, but something just didn't feel right. And I was stressed out. And I told Joseph, I started passing out at video shoots because I was... I was like, I think I was just working too much, not getting enough sleep. So like the first time it happened was at a mob deep shoot. We were shooting at the fader. Luckily they had just left before I passed out. They left yeah. and I was still doing the pickup scene and just like my head started spinning. And I found out it's because like I have like this weird vertigo thing where it's a certain position if you get into like with the camera, like it'll trigger it. Or if you don't get enough sleep, mm-hmm. you're stressed out, all that will trigger. And these are things that are like, what's gonna happen? business yeah so it's hard to avoid i'm not even that's when i was like dude i can't do this fader stuff no more it's getting like physically exhausting sure i love it but it's physically exhausting and you know um i told uh, joseph like dude i think i'm gonna just you know put my two weeks in and joseph was like dude do what's best for your health just take time off i think you've just been working your ass off all your life yeah never really taking a vacation but i'm like dude here i am about to leave a job i live in new york city i'm in queens <laughs> the hell am I going to survive, you know? Right. 
So at this point, we've seen Shomi go to college for something completely unrelated to what his passion is. We've seen him try to appease his parents. We've seen him work very hard at his craft. We've seen him come into contact with world-famous celebrities, uh, do work for them, and still be unsure of what he's doing. Uh, Then we've seen him just pack up his things, get married, move over to New York, start working for a very well-known company, still doing his creative pursuits on the side. Um, We've seen him then overwork himself into exhaustion while he's meeting all these world-famous celebrities, meeting all these entertainers, artists, basically following his dream, but just tiring himself out at it. And now we're about to see one more leap that will eventually lead to where we see him now in the present day and what he's doing. Um, I took a leap of faith and said, you know what, I'm going to bring back elusive media. And as soon as I left Vader, the first gig I was offered when I left Vader was like my first big budget video through an agency that I did a non-exclusive deal with. Okay. So Ty Dalo, who I met like a few years ago, was like, yo, we got a video, it's like $40,000 budget. I wasn't used to that, you know? Wow. So all of a sudden, I get a $40,000 video as soon as I quit. Yeah. And then I got another video for like CeeLo or something. It was like another like 30000 So like these jobs are miraculously coming in when I'm like quitting my Right, right. So job. it's fortuitous, yeah. It's, it's like, like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, like yeah. two jobs. And so I do those. All of a sudden, Mark Ronson hits me up. He's like, hey, do you want to <laughs> do a video for me? Mark Ronson gave me a $150,000 budget. Oh, so all of a sudden, like budgets are coming in. I'm like, fuck it, I guess I can do this, you know? And do it he has. Show Me and Elusive Media have gone on to do videos for just about every damn person. Obviously Pharrell, The Clips, The ASAP Mob, but he's also directed videos for Mark Ronson, for Belly, for Trey Songs, Jeremiah, Mary J. Blige, Major Lazer, Wu-Tang Clan, Diplo. He definitely did a video for Diljit Dosange as well. Diljit Dosange, sorry, as well. Um, he did a video for Shah Rukh Khan as well. He did Jaden Smith. He's just been doing the damn thing and reaching the upper echelons of music through a lot of hard work, determination, talent, and luck. And honestly, now that we'd heard his crazy story and had his sweet wife bring over chai and samosas and biscuits for us, I wanted to find out what drove him to continue on this path. Like seeing my dad's hustle, I think put that in me, at least that's what I got from my dad. Seeing that level of struggle kind of like, I think put that in my head, like I never want to live that life again. Sure, sure, yeah. Like that kind of put it in me. So I think that kind of motivated me to work hard. Even if like, like the clips, all these guys used to come to my bedroom and I used to just do mixtape covers for free. I'd do anything for free just to like get that in my portfolio sure. or just, you know, build that network. A so quick like, point here. This is absolutely true. I mean, oftentimes in this industry, you're going to have to do free work, especially when you're starting. And it's, it's important. I have my own feelings about this. I, I do think at the end of it, you, you have to decide for yourself when you're going to draw that line and be like, okay, no more free work. I've done enough. But that is not to say that I believe all these assholes out here that want you to do work for them for the opportunity or for the exposure. That's a lie. That's a damn lie. But you have to be smart enough to decide when it actually is the truth and when it'll be a good payoff, when you'll meet the right people, when you'll be able to create some good art. And I, do I get like kids that, that I will intern for me and they'll like think like, oh man, you get to do this. Why don't I get to? I'm like, bro, like I, it took me... Probably maybe 12 now, 13 years to get to this level. Right. You know what's crazy? I don't know if it's a, a Desi family thing, 
But like, even though they struggled, they never really let me see it that much either. I knew about it just because, you know, I was always You're perceptive. Yeah, perceptive. Yeah. yeah. But it wasn't a situation where I was hungry ever. Right. My parents would never do that, you know? Right. Like, they still, like, did the best they could. They put mm-hmm. me through, like, you know, your typical Arabic school. Just everything, you know? Like, yeah. So, like, seeing that is like, damn, you know, I don't think I'll ever be able to even be on that level of, sure. like, responsibilities my dad did. You know, my mom, you know? Like, my mom was cooking, cleaning, doing everything, and still had a job. At the time, she was working at, like, uh, a laundry spot, you know? Okay. Started working for, like, family, friends, and stuff, you know? Nice. My mom's retired now, but you know, she's worked all her life, but she was also like taking care of the house, always did my bed. Yeah. Like spoiled the hell out of me. Even when we had nothing, I just didn't realize it. You know, I had it really good, man. Like That's a pretty wild observation. I'm not gonna lie. Like that that threw me for a loop when I reheard it. I it didn't quite hit me when I was there listening, you know, to him saying it, but as I reheard it, I was like, Yeah, we we all kind of as brown kids come you know, from from that, at least most of us, I think, come from that vein where, like, our parents came here, they lived in a one-bedroom apartment, they had a toaster and a black-and-white TV, that's my parents, um, and we were there with them, you know, and they didn't quite make it until later on in their lives, but no matter what, we never felt it. Like, I never felt it. I, I was chilling as a little baby in my v-neck white tee and my and my aviator glasses that are too big for my head and stuff. Like, I was, I was sitting there, you know what I mean? Like, I never thought that, hey... I'm I'm starving. I never thought that. I mean, a lot of times, basically 100% of the time, I wasn't getting the toys that I wanted and shit like that. But for the most part, I I was fine. I went to school. I, I got an education. I And my parents never let me feel it if they couldn't pay a bill or if they were behind on something. And I think about it now. I'm like, yo, sometimes I'm just like, wow, this could all come crashing down. It's, it's, it's so... If me and Rhea, you know, have a kid at some point, like, how the hell am I going to support this? This is the craziest thing on the planet. And yet our parents came here, didn't really know the language and didn't understand the system, whether they knew the language or not. And yet we never felt it. And so, I, you know, I owe that to show me a lot that like I, I didn't even think of that. Like, I'm grateful for as, as, as hard as my parents were on me and as crazy as they get on my nerves sometimes, like I do have to give it up to them for that. Um, and so with that, let's get into some advice that Show Me has for all you aspiring artists. I think one thing, and I don't know if it's just the culture of like brown parents, at the end of the day, they're going to support you. You know, mm-hmm. I think so. Like I was lucky, dude. I was, I was like lucky. 24 still living with my parents. Mm-hmm. Parents don't care. You know how brown parents are. They don't give a shit. They live in that house forever. Mm-hmm. You I know? think, and it sounds kind of fucked up, but I think take advantage of that like privilege. Brown people do have a privilege. No, that's important. Extent. Yeah, yeah. But take advantage of that. You like, know, like, I, I think it's two things. Don't live beyond your means and wait, dude. You can't expect the money to come. Dude, I, I didn't see my first check for like four years. And I was working for Pharrell and these guys. My first check was like a $200 check for a logo that I did for Pharrell for some TV show, you know? Uh-huh. So it's just like, I think my advice would be patience, man. And some people are late groomers. You know, I'm like... 35. Mm-hmm. I see kids that are like 20 on my level, or 18 that are just like doing big things. Yeah, dude, don't go after the money because this business should have never been about the money, you know? Because mm-hmm. 
You're gonna put way more hours, and you're gonna like start calculating. Oh, I'm working McDonald's rates at this point. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> look at the amount of work you're putting in, Absolutely. and return on investment. But you can't think like that, dude. We're blessed to be able to even do this. I look at this as like a total blessing mm. to do what you truly love and be surrounded by other talented creatives and make a living off of it is a luxury. So also realize that too, and also don't be ashamed, dude. Like I took side jobs, you know, mm-hmm. like. Don't be afraid of that too either. Cause I see many brown kids that are like, this is what they do. They burn themselves out. They go all in and like, yo, all I'm going to do is just art. And if I don't, make, they don't make it. And then they go back to like being a banker or an engineer or some other shit. Yeah. Dude, you can do both. Oh my God. Yes. I'm so happy. He said that that is a phenomenal piece of advice i hope you all rewind that 40 times take it to heart and really understand that like it is a lie that you have to 100 percent devote yourself to something like the arts or whatever in order to succeed you don't that's a lie there's been books written about it that's not how this works the most successful people are the ones who keep one foot in doing something structured so that they can get a paycheck to then sustain the other 50 percent of their life which is their dream You end up being really tired, you get exhausted, but that's the way to do it. And then they know, and this is the key part, those people know when the right time is to jump both feet into their dream. But they don't do that shit from the jump because that is setting yourself up to fail. And me personally, I'm so vehement about this because I don't want you guys to fail. I want you all to succeed at your dreams. It just takes time. It takes effort. It takes not having an ego. You know, like Show Me said, do a side hustle, do help people out. Sometimes you have to work for free. Like it just, you'll know when it's the right time. You'll know when you're on the verge of success. And don't let anyone tell you any different. And so I hope you guys have enjoyed this interview. It was a bitch to edit, let me tell you. So I want to give a huge shout out to Rhea for, you know, dealing with me trying to get this story done and editing everything and chopping everything i want to give a huge shout out to show me for sitting down with us um and telling these crazy stories that like i won't even be able to put into an episode because he's saying things about real famous people and it's crazy that he knows these people and he's not even saying bad things i just i'm not sure if i'm supposed to put that out in public so you know what we'll save that for some other time uh but thank you guys for listening really hope you like this interview And we still got two more in the can, so expect some more soon. Survivors is the brainchild of myself and Rhea Bomek, where we shine a light on the lives of successful brown creatives you may not have heard of before. We conduct and edit all interviews, Rhea composes the music, and our friend Kush mixes it all down. There's no training to this, it's all grassroots. If you know anybody that we should feature, if you want to help, Reach out, simple as that.